Welcome to Restore, a Good Shepherd Bible Church podcast. This podcast is designed to help you better lead or engage with your community group conversation. Each episode, we'll review last week's sermon and probe a little deeper in order to help you process your Christian experience, life in community, and work on mission. Thank you for joining me. This is Restore. Well, hello, and welcome into Restore. My name is Hunter, and I am the pastor of Good Shepherd Bible Church. And we are walking through the book of Acts in a series of sermons called Witnesses. Um, And we are finally in chapter 2. So this is the fourth uh, sermon on the series, and we are finally into chapter 2. And the the Spirit has finally come on the scene. Uh, Let me go ahead and read this week's text. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. uh, And then we'll have a little conversation, uh, explanation, and then a couple questions at the end. Luke says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, and the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in their own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean?" But others were mocking, saying, they are filled with new wine. Well, here in chapter chapter 2, uh, we learn what happens when the Spirit comes on. And so I've, uh, onto the church, and I've simply uh, entitled this section here of chapter 2, The What of the Spirit. And uh, there are two more sections in this chapter that we'll look at in subsequent sermons. Uh, we'll look at uh, next time, The Why of the Spirit. And that's Peter's sermon in verses 42 through 47. Um, But then the results of the Spirit uh, would be the rest of the chapter. Um, Excuse me, the what of the the, the why of the Spirit, that's Peter's sermon, is verses 14 through 41. And the results of the Spirit are 42 through 47. Um, so, So the what of the Spirit, the why of the Spirit, and the results of the Spirit, or maybe you could say it's the first evidence of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, but it's it's said that these these uh, apostles were all in one place, and uh, I mentioned in the sermon the fact that uh, there's really a sandwich between Acts one and Acts two, um, where the bread is 
simple, mundane activities of the church, um, the, the pretty ordinary workings of the church, with no, no frills and no bells and whistles, just ordinary church life. And in the middle, the meat of it is the, the Spirit coming, and of course all the bells and whistles and fireworks that happen when, when he arrives, what we just read. Um, but the significance of that is really Acts 1 and Acts 2 end in the exact same way, with the church participating in regular, mundane, and ordinary practices, which are, which are not what we would necessarily call miraculous, but yet the miraculous is happening in between them, which really indicates to us that most often God calls us to pretty ordinary work, and uh, he does the extraordinary work through the means of, of the ordinary, which is a good reminder for us just to remain faithful. You know, we, we aren't working with uh, the best and the brightest, both people, but also of, of stuff, uh, it's not like you know. Again, we don't we don't have uh, fireworks and nothing crazy is is going on. We're working with common things like the word of God, common things like bread and wine, common things like water, uh, common things like just praying, uh, resting in in what God has done. So it's it's a good call for us to simply uh, take take God's work as his work and, and our work as things that God has called us to do in light of his work. So we we do have a simple job. As the apostles were to wait on the Spirit, and so they prayed according to his promises. And then in verse 42 of chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the prayers and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, uh, the very simple common, common tasks. But then it launches right, right into uh, this distinction that we're going to uh, talk about for the rest of the episode here, this distinction between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. If you remember in uh, chapter 1 of Acts, you have Jesus promising uh, the apostles the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this comes from Acts 1, 4 through 5. Uh, Jesus says that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And of course, when the Spirit comes on the scene in chapter 2, that would be the fulfillment of Jesus's words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's helpful to know because that term, baptism of the Spirit, and and certainly the filling of the Spirit, are going to come up in our day. Um, They're not as pronounced in what we might label our circles, you know, non-charismatic type circles, uh, but you are going to hear it. And certainly the idea of the filling of the Spirit, um, you're going to hear that a little bit more and maybe wonder, you know, are we filled with the Spirit or why don't we experience the filling of the Spirit in particular ways? Uh, You'll hear that question a little bit more, but it's worth noting that there is a difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. So you have Jesus's promise in Acts 1, you will be baptized with the Spirit. But then also in uh, in chapter 2, verse 4, our passage uh, for today, he says they were all filled with the Spirit. So there was, a, there was a baptism of the Spirit, a pouring out of the Spirit in verses 1 through 3, and that was the, the experience that was like a mighty rushing wind and like divided uh, tongues of fire. But then after that, they were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues. Um, and the baptism of the Spirit is is much like 
the one-time event of, you would even say, Jesus's baptism, or you could even say the one-time event of his death and resurrection. Uh, it is a one-time historical event that continues to have personal, individual meaning for us as Christians today. Um, and and really, I, I labeled, uh, I kind of gave a definition to it in, in this way. Baptism of the Spirit is God's one-time gift of the Spirit for believers, wherein the Spirit dwells in, seals, fills, and empowers believers for the ongoing work of Jesus's heavenly ministry. So it is a it is a one-time event. And so when somebody asks you, like, well, when did the baptism of the Spirit happen? You could easily say, first and foremost, like most significantly, it happened well, 2,000 years ago at Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on the church, indicating a brand new age, indicating a brand new or a holistic change, and even a dying and rising of the times, kind of like our picture of baptism where, you know, Jesus was put in the, into the grave and then raised three days later. So this baptism of the Spirit, the old covenant has passed away and the new covenant has come, a, a new spirit with new hearts and a new kind of obedience placed within God's people. And so we see this, uh, really the, the point of of this um, is that really nowhere in the scriptures are believers called to pursue the baptism of the Spirit. It's already happened. Uh, it already happened 2,000 years ago, but it also happened in their conversion. Um, <clears throat> so just like we would say um, the realities of our baptism, that is that we are united to Christ uh, united to his death and united to his resurrection. You, somebody might ask, well, when did that happen? And you could say, well, when Jesus was placed into the grave and when Jesus was risen from the grave, um, that's also when when we were dead and, and raised as well. And that's certainly true theologically. Um, but personally, you could also say in your conversion that happened. So it's this one-time event with this ongoing significance for the believer. Um that's really received through conversion. Now, the reality is conversion, though we like to think of it as pretty clear-cut, it's actually really tricky. And scripture is full of different ways of talking about conversion, but the main way it talks about conversion is the idea of of baptism. It just provides uh, a both a signing and a sealing of the realities of conversion uh, that the that the New Testament church really picks up on. I mentioned in the sermon Acts 2 and Acts 10 as examples where conversion gets messy. And if you want to do an extra little study, do a study of the order of conversion uh, in those in those moments. So when Peter preaches the sermon in Acts 2, uh, we'll get to in a couple weeks, and the people ask, well, what must we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. Versus in chapter 10, uh, Peter preaches another sermon to Gentiles, and they hear the word. The Spirit comes down on them, and Peter says, well, what's preventing them from being baptized? They already have the Spirit. Um, so really, you, you know, when is faith there, and when is uh, the spirit there, and when is the the sign and seal of baptism supposed to be there along with it? Well, it's it's really it's really tricky, and it's not as clear cut as we want. Um, and so, really, the the point is that you know, though the timing of it is kind of unknown, the reality of it is known. The reality of repentance, the reality of 
our baptism, that is our, our being united uh, to Christ and to the Spirit, uh, is absolutely true. And that happened at Pentecost for us, but also it happened at conversion. Uh, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, when he says that for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. And so we don't need to think that there's a baptism of the spirit that we need to pursue. That is to say, like, there's some extra spiritual experience, this mystical baptism of the spirit that we need to have, you know, that's, that's, that's not the scriptural evidence. The scriptural evidence is that it happened at Pentecost and then it's, in one sense, applied to us in our conversion. The Spirit is poured out on us in our conversion. So that's the baptism of the Spirit, and yet the filling of the Spirit is a, a unique ongoing experience for us as well. Uh, the, the, bapt, uh, the filling of the Spirit is an ongoing experience, and the, the, the Spirit never ceases to fill us. There are pronounced moments of filling. Uh, the filling of the Spirit is an objective reality because of our baptism with the Spirit. Um. John MacArthur said it great, the baptism with the Spirit grants the power that the filling of the Spirit unleashes. So the baptism with the Spirit grants the power that the filling with the Spirit unleashes. And this is why you would have commands, uh, especially in Pauline literature, to be filled with the Spirit or to walk in the Spirit. Um, It's because it seems to be, you know, again, we're not less filled, uh, but the reality is we seem to be in tune with it or in step with it. Um, in in different ways experientially throughout the Christian life. And uh, a lot of times in, uh, in the biblical accounts, this filling of the Spirit is for a particular missional re- reason, and this certainly is the case here in Acts 2. Uh, they began to speak in tongues. They were filled with the Spirit, verse 4, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, and verse 11 clarifies that a little bit uh, because it says that... Um, we, we hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. So they were speaking in universal languages, which represents the, the newness of, of all nations being included into this work. Um, but also they were speaking the gospel. Um, so that's, that was the substance of their conversation as they were, as they were filled with the Spirit. Uh, so I wanted to ask a couple questions for us as we process this uh, particular passage, which is undoubtedly difficult, uh, and feel free to to bat around the, that idea of of baptism of the spirit and filling with the spirit, uh, and feel free to feel free to dissent, give a dissenting view. That's that's fine. Um, but a couple of uh, questions I had were: What are some of the normal rhythms of our church that we need to be devoted to? Uh, or you might you might say this: Where are those normal expressions of the church expressed in our church? Uh, so you can go to Acts two forty two, or you can go to the the end of Acts one and find those things that the the church was devoted to that that um, ordinary means of grace sandwich there. And I, my question is: Where do you see this at work in our church? Where do we need to be uh, devoted to these means? So what and, and even what expressions uh, do these means take for us in our church? Uh, second question, uh, what are some of the evidences of the Spirit's presence among us? The Spirit, um, it's it's such a comfort for the believer, right? Because the the Spirit 
seals and certainly signifies, but also seals the promises of God to us. It means that the Spirit is the rubber stamp, the official stamp on all of God's promises to us. And so I'm I'm just wondering where where do you sense the Spirit? Maybe where do you spend, uh, sense the Spirit at work in your community group or amongst people in your community group? Uh, maybe even speak to uh, the experience of the the filling of the Spirit within your own heart and life. Uh, I'd be curious to to hear some of those things as well. My third question is, is a little bit more of a thoughtful, challenging question. But what what keeps us from believing that we are God's ordinary means? of accomplishing his extraordinary work? What what sort of things prevent us from believing that we are God's ordinary means of accomplishing his ordinary work? So that's a good question to, to process through, but but don't end on a don't end on a bad note or a sour note. Of course we're gonna forget. Uh, of course we are unbelieving people by nature. Uh, but what what would be some of the good news that we can cling on to? Go back to how the Spirit has filled us uh, and even how he's equipped us uh, to be a part of the, the mission of God there. Other than that, I hope you have a great uh, community group time together. I will be praying for you all as you meet, and uh, I pray that Christ would be lifted up in all of your conversations. God bless you all.